Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb, according to his father's household, a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for your memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your house. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your house. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether, the so- whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel that is on the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come into the land the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. This morning, our entire service is geared around the Lord's Supper, around communion. When Christ was with us, he gave us two sacraments, two ordinances that are set forth for the church. The first being baptism, the second being the Lord's Supper, being communion. And the purpose for these were simple. They are to point us to Christ. 
They are to bring the people together in a special, unique way. There's something distinctly separate and different about baptism and the Lord's Supper compared to everything else that the Lord has given to the church. And so this morning, we're going to reflect on that. And so you're going to hear various scripture readings. You're going to hear various things that happen throughout the service. But the entirety of your service is geared around the taking of the elements, which will happen later in service. And so this morning, we've gone to great lengths to um, challenge maybe what you think of when you think of the Lord's communion. And so um, you see this morning that we have John up here preparing the elements. Um, the bread was prepared yesterday by many of the ladies in our church. A special thank you um, to Marietta Roderick, who put that together. Um, the wheat is from Enid. It's prepared in Enid. Um, and the bread is unleavened. Um, it's prepared pretty close, pretty similar um, to the way they would have prepared it as they left um, the promised land, or left Egypt um, 4,000 so years ago, 3,000 years ago. Um, now, I don't know if they had the machine tools that we did, but it's prepared very similar. Um, there's juice just like they would have had as they left. When Jesus gathers with his disciples, he's gathering for the Passover meal. And the question is, why Passover? Why does Jesus pick, of all the festivals the Jews celebrate, why Passover? In fact, we know, if we were to look even later on in Exodus, we see there's kind of three main festivals that the Jews celebrate, right? The festival of Passover, there's a festival of booths, Right? And there's a festival of harvest, basically when they would take in the, the grains, right? which would later become right, the day of Pentecost. That's a, that's a festival that we see later. And so why does Jesus, why does Jesus choose, right? it's not an accident that he's crucified during the week of Passover. It's not an accident that he gives his disciples the Lord's Supper at the Passover feast. Why is that? I think there's four reasons. I think there's four big symbols that carry over from Passover into the Lord's Supper. And I think to truly understand why Jesus wants us to take the Lord's Supper and the significance of it, we have to understand these symbols. And so the first, the first symbol that we see God give to the Israelites is that of the bread. The bread is the first symbol that God gives to the Israelites. And what is the point of the bread? The big thing that we probably all have heard growing up, if you've grown up in church, is that the bread is unleavened. Why? Why is the bread unleavened? Well, the purpose was it was that they were leaving in a hurry. They did not have time for their bread to rise. And so by God commanding that they eat unleavened bread every year when they celebrate, what he's reminding them of is their departure from Egypt. And specifically, that the nature of their departure was completely dependent on God's ability to deliver them. The reason every time they ate the bread... Every time they ate the bread, they were supposed to remember that they were delivered not by their own hand, but by the hand of God. They were to remember the plagues. They were to remember the parting of the sea. They were to remember their journey in the wilderness and the manna, the bread that God provided. They were to remember all that God had done for them. The bread was an object of remembrance. They looked back at what God had done. They looked back at how he had delivered them out of slavery and into the promised land that he had taken them, that he brought them forth. But that's not the only symbol there. The first symbol is the bread. The second symbol in the Passover ritual was the lamb. And the interesting thing about the lamb is the lamb doesn't have a direct comparison in the Lord's Supper. This morning, we will have no roasted lamb before us. There's no meat in this meal. There will not be um, any chunks for you to tear off. 
So what was the purpose of the lamb? The lamb was there to remind the people of the blood that needed to be spilled. If the bread reminded the people of God's deliverance, how he brought them out of Egypt, the blood reminded them how God spared them from his wrath. The blood, the lamb, when they, when they sacrificed the lamb among the people, what they remembered every time is that God had spared them from his wrath. The Egyptians were not spared. The beasts in the field were not spared. But the Israelites were spared by the blood of the lamb. And so every year as they gathered together to celebrate Passover, this feast of unleavened bread, they would sacrifice a lamb, and they were to remember the blood that needed to be spilt so that they could be saved, so that the judgment could be withheld. So if the first symbol, if the first idea is this bread, and the second symbol is the, the lamb, specifically it's blood, the third symbol is the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. What's interesting is you don't get it necessarily um, right here in Exodus chapter 12. It's hinted at. Um, But if you were to to read on, specifically Deuteronomy 14, you would see a really interesting provision on the Passover feast. You see, in Deuteronomy 14, the people are not in the promised land yet. They're still in the wilderness, and, and Moses is giving them instruction. And so the presence of the Lord is dwelling in the tabernacle with them. And the entire congregation of Israel is in the presence of the Lord. Right? The, the tabernacle's with them. They're, they're not scattered in the promised land yet. But there's a day coming right, where they will enter into the promised land. And what's going to happen when they enter in the promised land? They will scatter and conquer it. But there's a problem with this. And the problem is, is at this point in, in human history, God's presence is still dwelling in a very physical location, which will be the tabernacle and then eventually the temple. And so what God tells the people in Deuteronomy 14 is that when they take the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when they participate in the Passover festival, they are together wherever the presence of the Lord is, which eventually will become the temple. And so what's interesting is this applies to all three of the festivals. All three of the festivals have the same stipulation. The people were together in Jerusalem or the tabernacle, wherever that would be, and then later the temple. And so, in fact, the reason Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Passover feast is he's living by this law. Jesus routinely, if you, if you look at the narrative of his life, specifically the Gospels that follow a little more chronologically, you can chart where he is based off the festival calendar because Jesus was faithful and every time there was a festival, he went to Jerusalem where the presence of the Lord was supposed to be. Now why? Why was it so imperative that when the people celebrated this festival, they were together where the Lord was? Because this festival is about the Lord. It's not about the Israelite people. God wants to remind them. He wants them to come to his presence because they need to remember that even though God saved them, it was not because they were great, but because he was great. And they needed to come to his presence and be among him and worship him, not themselves, not their nationhood, not their might, not their conquering, not their deliverance, but the deliverance of God. If you remember what's said in that Exodus passage, it's not the Israelites' Passover, it's the Lord's Passover. And so they must come to the presence of the Lord. But then the fourth thing that's commanded here that's important to understand is the assembly of the people. You see, they were all together in Jerusalem or wherever the presence of the Lord would be. In fact, it says, right, in the first day and the seventh day of this festival, they were to hold a holy assembly. All the people are together in the temple grounds and to worship God together. They are to sacrifice together. Why? 
Because God did not just deliver one person. God delivered a people. And so the people are together to come together to worship. It's not enough for one of them to worship. It's they all need to worship together. They all come together to worship. It's an assembly of God's people. And so he commands them. He brings them together in one accord. He brings them as a group to worship him, as a group to take this festival. Now, individuals participated in that, right? Individuals make up that group, but it was a collective action. The people celebrated the festival. Not this person or that person, but the Israelite nation celebrated. These are the four symbols that I think Jesus takes and he, he reinstitutes with the Lord's Supper, right? The bread, right? He takes this bread that signified, right, the deliverance from the land of Egypt, and he says that it is, it is his body, symbolizing our delivery from sin into freedom. He takes the blood, right, the, the, the lamb, and he takes the, the juice, which symbolizes his blood, right, right, the wine, right? He takes the same symbol, right, instead of a lamb, now it's juice, but it's the blood, and he shows, right, he says, right, this blood is for the forgiveness of our sins. Because his blood is spilt, the angel of vengeance will pass over us. Just like the Israelites remember how God delivered them with the bread, and they remember that God spared them with the blood of the lamb, we remember that his body was broken so that we could be delivered, and his blood was shed so that we could be spared. But also, what's really interesting is this idea of coming into the presence of the Lord. Right? It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that, that Jesus chooses this time when they're in Jerusalem to institute the Lord's Supper. He could have done it whenever he wanted. Right? He had three years with his disciples. He could have picked, picked the first one. He could have picked the second Passover he was with. He could have picked a random week to do it. But he picks this week right before his death right, to institute the Lord's Supper. Now, there's a bunch of different ideas of what exactly it means to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the presence of the Lord. You have um, everything from the um, Catholic view which says the elements literally turn into the body and blood of the Lord. That's not a view we as Baptists hold. Um, But then you have Baptists that hold that the Lord is specially present at the Lord's Supper. To those, some Baptists that hold that that the Lord's Supper is just a memorial, it's a symbol, and that's all there is. There's no special presence of the Lord. The reality is, wherever you fall on this, the Bible makes clear that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what enables us to do that is because we are able to enter the presence of the Lord because of the blood of Christ. And so when we come to take the Lord's Supper, we come understanding we are taking it with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, right? The presence of the Lord is in us, right? And so we are taking it in the presence of the Lord. In fact, this is kind of what's meant if you, many of us know that the scripture, right, where two or three are gathered, there I am, right? Which we actually use that out of context most of the time. Um, That's really a scripture of authority, What that scripture is really saying, where two or three Christians make a decision, then God gives them authority to do that. That's really what that scripture is meaning. It's not meaning that God's presence is there. But the reality is where we gather as Christians, when we take the Lord's Supper, there is an authority of the presence of the Lord there. And there's authority over the elements that are taken, meaning that God is blessing what is taken. He's giving grace through what is taken. So we take it in the presence of the Lord. And then lastly, we assemble with the people. It's not a mistake that the Lord 
when he institutes communion, does it with his disciples. He could have told them, right? He could have just said, he could have just said, okay, here's what you do when I leave. Start taking this every year after I leave. Or take this whenever I leave. But instead, he institutes it with them, right? He's assembled with the people. As, we, as we're going to read here in a second from 1 Corinthians 11, right? The Lord's Supper is to be taken among the assembly of the saints. The people of God are together to remember what he's done for them. When you take a communion element, you are remembering what God has done for you. But it's more than that. We are remembering what God has done for us. We are declaring not just to the world what Christ has done, but that we are a people whose Christ has done that work for. Now, I, I, I listed all the, these elements, and I said that, that Christ is pulling from them, and these are the, the symbols that Christ is pulling forward in the New Testament from Passover. Um, and you may be saying, Nick, that sounds great, but how do we know that? Well, Paul, in probably the, the, the clearest explanation of what communion is supposed to be, gives us the explanation in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The words will be on the screen. And follow along with me from this reading, starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you to be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have done nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks to it, he broke it and said, This is my body which is, is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup and the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we judge by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another." If anyone is hungry, let him eat it at home, so that when you come together, it will not be in judgment. Above, about the other things, I will give directions when I come. Paul starts by telling them they're not taking the Lord's Supper. They thought they were. They thought they were doing everything they were supposed to. But he tells them they're not. Why? Because they were not taking the Lord's Supper in the gathering of the saints. They were not waiting for the entire congregation to be assembled before they were taking it. They were not remembering properly what the Lord had done, who the Lord was inside of them, and they were not remembering the elements. How do we know this? Well, Paul has to tell them. He reminds them, this is what the bread is. This is what the blood is. And if you remember that, you would have waited for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he condemns them. He tells them that they are in sin and that they need to repent because they have not remembered who Christ is. 
They have not remembered what Christ has done for them. And because of that, they've forgotten their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they stand in condemnation. Now, there's plenty of things to take away from this passage. We see plenty of things happening in this passage. We see Paul um, giving instructions about how often to take, and there's many debate around this. But what we do see is that no matter how often the meal is taken, the purpose does not change. The purpose is to remember Christ and to remember his body, the church, and to remember all that he's done for it. And so as a church, every time we take the Lord's Supper, every time we take communion, and as individual Christians, every time we take the Lord's Supper, every time we take communion, it should be a time of reflection, repentance, and confession. Because we remember all that Christ has done for us. And we remember how precious it is that instead of being part of the world, we are now part of the family of Christ. Not by our own merit, but by his. And so this morning, we're going to do something that may be a little bit uncomfortable for you. You see, what Paul is telling him here is that they've sinned against each other. And they need to confess those sins. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to enter into a time of private confession and repentance. But I would like to do this where we're seated. And so if you're seated near a friend, you're seated with your family, I would like you guys to pray together, to offer prayers of confession and repentance. Fathers, I would like you to lead this. I'd like you to lead confessing your sins to your family, asking for repentance. Parents, wives, doing likewise. But as family units, as, as people, as family of God see together, we're going to enter into time of prayer and confession. And so there's going to be some music playing, but it's going to be quiet. Pray for each other. Lift each other up. If you need to, stand up. Go across the room. Ask for forgiveness from your brothers and sisters in Christ in the room. Whatever sin may be that you have or grudge that may be you have against them. But we're going to take this time and we're going to enter into into prayer and confession. And so as the musicians play, I encourage you to pray.